I'm Donna Liu, and welcome to A Grey Matter, the neuroscience podcast from the Queensland Brain Institute. In this, our first episode, we're talking about stroke. I had a lot of trouble with faces, to the point where I would even memorise what my children were wearing before I, you know, before they went to uh, kindy, so that I'd recognise them to, when I went to pick them up. That's Lavinia Codd. She's a postdoctoral research fellow in Professor Perry Bartlett's lab here at QBI. Her research focuses on an area of the brain called the hippocampus, which is important for learning and spatial memory. She's a stroke researcher and a stroke survivor. Lavinia was 31 when she had a stroke. I was at a ball. Uh, I'd had a headache for a few days, which might have been one of the causative factors for my stroke, although that's fairly uncommon to have a migraineous stroke. Uh, somebody was giving a speech and there were some flashing lights uh, and that's when I had the stroke. So I immediately uh, felt quite weak, but that was about the only thing I noticed. I had trouble reading the menu. I couldn't count how many fingers my husband was holding up. Uh, I was in a fair amount of pain, so we decided to leave and we went straight to the hospital. Now, you might be familiar with the stroke awareness campaign run by the National Stroke Foundation. There's a particular acronym that they use. Fast. So uh, facial weakness, uh, weakness in the arm, speech problems, and then obviously it's time to go to hospital. What you might not know is that other warning signs of stroke include dizziness, numbness and visual disturbances. I didn't have any of the classical signs. I had no facial um, weakness. I had no paralysis in my arms. I just felt unwell. Doctor, doctor. Tout ça, à quel point tout ça est difficile pour vous Vous m'entendez pas. Vous souffrez de, de ce qu'on appelle euh, lock-in syndrome. That's from the 2007 film The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which was based on the memoir of the same name by Jean-Dominique Bobby. Bobby, who was editor-in-chief of French Elle magazine, suffered a stroke at age 43, which left him almost completely paralysed, locked into his body. He dictated the diving bell and the butterfly over a period of 10 months and communicated solely by blinking his left eyelid. It makes for a really moving read. But the thing about stroke is that while paralysis is a common result, it's not the only outcome. As you might have realised, Lavinia sounds normal, so to speak. She doesn't have slurred speech, and when you meet her, there are no visible indicators that she's ever had a stroke. The reason she doesn't have any motor deficits is because the area in her brain known as the motor cortex was unaffected. The signs and symptoms depend on which area of the brain the stroke affects. The different parts of the brain uh, have different functions, and it's really quite specialised. So if uh, cells in the motor cortex die, then somebody will end up with some form of paralysis. Uh, If cells in the hippocampus die, then they'll end up with memory deficits. And then there are certain cells that are specialised in uh, language, and sensory. uh, there are sensory cells as well. So what exactly is a stroke? Stroke is um, classified as when there's a loss of blood supply to part of the brain. And there are two forms of stroke. They can be hemorrhagic or they can be ischemic. Hemorrhagic strokes arise from, uh, say, a rupture to an aneurysm. So there's a bleed in the brain. And an ischemic stroke is when there's a clot in one of the arteries supplying the brain. Uh, The reduction in blood supply means that the cells don't have any access to blood or oxygen and they die. 
And how common are each of these types? Uh, well, hemorrhagic strokes account for about 20% and ischemic strokes are by far more common and there's 80% of those. Lavinia's stroke was the more common type when there's a blockage in a blood vessel. I'd had a fairly large ischemic stroke in, that involved the occipital lobe, which is involved in uh, vision. Uh, so consequently I couldn't see on the left, although I wasn't aware of that at the time, uh, and the right hippocampus as well as the medial temporal lobe. So the hippocampus is involved in learning and memory, uh, and the temporal lobe is involved, uh, amongst other things, the part that I lost involved in navigation, which explained my symptoms. According to a 2013 Australian Institute of Health and Welfare report, the incidence of stroke increases markedly from about 65 years of age. But Lavinia is quick to point out that stroke shouldn't be ruled out in young people. Well, certainly age is one of the risk factors for stroke, uh, but plenty of young people have strokes as well. You don't have to have any predisposition to stroke. I didn't have any, uh, any of the predisposing factors. Obviously, uh, smoking and obesity and age uh, increases your risk of stroke, but really, um, stroke can occur at any time to anyone. At this point, I should mention the major interstroke study, which looked at the risk factors for ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke in 22 countries. The study found that 10 risk factors accounted for 90% of the population attributable risk for stroke worldwide. Risk factors included things like high blood pressure, physical inactivity, high waist to hip ratio and smoking. Unfortunately for Lavinia, she was in the other 10%. When Lavinia experienced her symptoms, she and her husband went straight from the ball they were at to a hospital. But because of her age, she was misdiagnosed with a migraine and sent home. I did get to hospital in time to have TPA, uh, which is um, uh, a clot-busting drug, uh, but because of the misdiagnosis, I wasn't given that. Instead, she was given vasoconstrictors, which are drugs that further decrease blood flow, which wasn't helpful in her case. She returned to hospital a few days later when her symptoms still hadn't resolved. There was nothing really they could do for me. The damage had been done because, you know, so many days had started uh, had passed since the stroke. Um, all they could do was pain relief uh, and I was sent home. There was actually nothing they could do. I couldn't have a speech therapist because I didn't have speech problems. I couldn't see an OT because I didn't have any paralysis or a physio. Uh, so it was pretty much get better on your own. Part of Lavinia's recovery involved a career change from chartered accountant to neuroscientist. When I stopped work to have my first child, uh, I came back to uni because, uh, really, as a hobby. Uh, and so I started a science degree because I'd always been interested in science. And it was a fabulous experience. I loved um, starting the science degree. It was great. Uh, unfortunately, partway through what is effectively first year, although I, because I was doing it part-time, I'd been going for a few years, uh, is when I had the stroke. Up until that point, I'd been really interested in plant biology. Uh, after the stroke, so I didn't come back to uni for a year. When I did come back... I actually concentrated mainly on psychology subjects because my neuropsychologist had been uh, such a help to me and I was interested in the brain. Uh, because I was doing fairly well, I was offered a place in the adva advanced studies in science program. Uh, I needed, as part of that program, I needed to find a mentor, uh, which prompted me to look at all the professors at UQ, which is when I found Perry. And uh, QBI was only recently started. We were still in the old building at that stage. I met with Perry and he was very keen to um, have me on board. 
and he's been very supportive all the way through my recovery. In fact, I'm fairly sure he has no idea how much of my recovery happened in his lab. Over a decade later, Lavinia's completed a PhD in neuroscience and is now dedicated to researching the treatment of stroke. There are several ways that we can tackle uh, stroke research as scientists. Obviously, preventing stroke is an important avenue of research, but unfortunately, as in my own case, many strokes aren't actually preventable. Another way of um, approaching stroke research is neuroprotection. So when somebody has a stroke, there's a lot of investigation into uh, identifying uh, molecules that help reduce the size of the resulting lesion. So trying to make the lesion of the stroke uh, as small as possible and therefore having the least amount of effect on the individual. Unfortunately, those, uh, pro those molecules tend to be needed to be given fairly soon after the stroke. So like with the clot-busting drugs, you really have a short period of intervention. So what I'm interested in is actually promoting uh, recovery from stroke at a later time point. And the avenue that we're investigating is looking at neurogenesis. So neurogenesis is the production of new brain cells, new neurons, and it actually occurs naturally throughout our entire lifespans. There are several uh, parts of the brain that are actively engaged in neurogenesis all the way through our lifespan, and the hippocampus is one of those. As I mentioned before, the hippocampus is involved in learning and memory, uh, and it's uh, a side of this ongoing neurogenesis. And the Bartlett group's been particularly good at identifying several methods by which we can stimulate this ongoing endogenous neurogenesis. So it's a naturally occurring process, and we're just attempting uh, to... Uh, increase the level of new neuron production with the hope that this will have an impact on function. And then there is some data that uh, suggests that the rate of neurogenesis does change in various situations and this does impact on learning and memory function of the hippocampus. So I'm looking at creating a stroke in the hippocampus in a mouse model and then treating the animals in an attempt to stimulate neurogenesis and hopefully improve uh, recovery of function. Lavinia's symptoms have improved since the first few years after her stroke. Her left field of vision is permanently gone, but she has central vision and everything on the right. Initially, she had to give up her driver's license, but was able to drive again a year later. These days, she says she still has difficulties with spatial memory and gets lost easily. This is what she said when I asked her about the effect of her stroke on her two kids. They do remember, well, Sam doesn't remember, but Zoe remembers coming to hospital and visiting me, and I think that was fairly daunting. And But as long as they've known me effectively, I've had these deficits. Uh, and they, I mean, they notice now when I get panicked, when because I do panic when I get lost if I'm driving. Uh, it annoys them a lot, but that's life. <laughs> they've got to deal with that. If you've suffered from a stroke, or know somebody who has, this is Lavinia's message. Recovery from stroke happens forever. It doesn't just happen in the first year after the stroke, like we're told. It happens for the rest of your life. So although a lot of my recovery did happen in the first couple of years following the stroke, I'm still recovering today, and I fully intend on recovering for the rest of my life. So even though it might feel that you're not progressing very far, it does accumulate over time and people do get better. That's all for this episode. Let us know what you think or if you have any requests for future podcasts. We're on Twitter at QBI underscore UQ and on Facebook. Or you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.